following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, October 27th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. If you got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I found it encouraging this week as I was taking a moment to pray and prepare for this morning that even the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with the church in Rome and wrote that great letter that you have in your New Testament called Romans, even when Paul was dealing with them, and I don't know the the actual details that surrounded it completely, but even Paul felt it important to remind them that what had been written in the former days, the stories of Moses and of the Old Testament, the, the words of the prophets, they were written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. I like to imagine that the very fast-paced, very advanced, very cultural, culturally savvy Roman Christians who have been saved out of that Roman culture, been brought into the church, I like to imagine that at some point, whenever someone would begin to open up what they had of God's words in the scroll and begin to read the stories, that they thought to themselves, what do the stories of these desert-dwelling Israelites have to do with me? Do you, do you know the advancements that we've made in art and architecture and technology and philosophy and writing? Is there not something, Paul, that you could say that's a bit more applicable to the things that we have to deal with, the lives that we live now, the, the pressures that we face now? I found it encouraging this week that Paul had to remind them that it was in those stories written long ago that the infallible and the inerrant preserved word of God that God had preserved even at that point for his people. It was those stories that God purposed to be the means by which their hearts, their lives would be encouraged with the endurance and the hope that everybody from the days of those old stories to today is so desperate for. I mean, given whatever the situation is that comes into our offices throughout the week that we have over coffee or over lunch with people who are part of this church or friends of ours that we know from outside the church, if if there is anything that people, that's common to man across, is desperately looking for today, it's encouragement and endurance and hope. And so I was encouraged this week by Paul, who even had to remind the Romans back then that This is the very thing that God has promised through his word, even when there's stories of things that seem to be happening so long ago, so far ago, because I can just imagine that when we come together on a morning like this, and and I say, open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and there are some of you going, wait a minute, it's raining, it's nasty, I was very comfortable. Did I get out of bed for 1 Samuel chapter 3? Isn't there a, a... place in the Bible, Robert, that you could go that seems to be maybe a bit more immediately impactful? The situations and the complications and the varieties of things that are encroaching the the joy in my heart, the things that are driving me to need in such a unique way, the reality of eternal endurance and and hope and encouragement. isn't there something else? Can't you save 1 Samuel for a Bible study during the week? Can't we all come on a Wednesday night and you stand up on a whiteboard and we just do 1 Samuel then? Isn't there something different we could do now? And I was reminded this week and I would remind you this morning as we get started that according to God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 3 
as we have it about these desert-dwelling Israelites centuries ago is there because God has purposed it to be a means by which he would bring the encouragement of endurance and hope to our hearts today. So don't despise 1 Samuel chapter 3 and the stories of old that maybe you're used to if you grew up in the church on the felt boards and the chalkboards. Don't don't despise them. They're they're God's means for the very thing your heart craves this morning. So as you open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3, let me pray. And then we'll jump into the story. Father, we thank you this morning that it's through your word. Your word that spoke and everything that is came out of nothing. Your word that spoke and hard hearts that rejected with contempt. The word of your grace were replaced with hearts that delighted in the things that bring you joy and glory. It's your word that speaks. And so this morning we ask that you would do what only you can do by your Holy Spirit working together with your word. You would give us ears to hear. That's what we need this morning, ears to hear. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name, for his glory and ours, our joy. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The story starts this way. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That's about as sad as a statement that you're going to come across in a story about God's people. It's a brief statement, but it's about as dark and as bleak and as sad as it gets. If you've been with us at all for the last few weeks as we started the book of 1 Samuel, you'll understand why it's come to this place. God's people are living in a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were a moral and spiritual law unto themselves. Whatever they felt like they needed to do or wanted to do to satisfy whatever it is they actually wanted at the time, they would do. And we learned last week why a great reason, a great at least means by which why God's people got to the place where they had begun to believe that and live that way. We saw that in this particular time in the life of God's people, the priests, the spiritual leaders of Israel, the high priest Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they had become worthless men. In their hearts, Eli's sons had begun to despise the the very means that God had provided his people to know the depth of their sin and to know the extent of his pardon through the sacrificial system. The very thing that God had given them to know their need for him continually and his provision for them, they had despised. They had, they had shown tremendous contempt for in their hearts. And rather than using the position that God had put them in, the power that came with it and the authority that came with it to serve God's people, that they might more completely with their whole heart what's a great word, delight in who God has been and continue to be for them. They use that position and they use that power and they use that authority to exploit God's people. They use that position to satisfy the varied lusts and desires of their hearts in whatever means they felt like were necessary. They did not know the Lord. Rather, they despised him and his sacrifices, did whatever they wanted. So no wonder God's people were living the way that they were. No wonder that as part of God's judgment upon their sin, God's word had become rare. There was no frequent vision in those days. The silence of God had become deafening. Friends, this is the, the setting on the stage for the story. 
This is the backdrop on, on which the, the story of 1 Samuel chapter 3 is going to unfold. At that time, when people were doing whatever they wanted to do and the voice of the Lord was rare and the sins of God's people were, were so great, but they were seen on a microcosm in the sins of his religious leaders. At that time, Eli, the high priest, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. He was lying down in his own place. And I'll continue to point out in the beginnings of the book of Samuel some of the beauty in the way that the Hebrew storytellers would write these things. It's written in a particular way because you see that historically this man Eli is about 98 years old at this point. And so his physical eyesight is, is growing dim and he's not able to see anymore. But it's written in such a way as the writer sets the story up that Eli's physical blindness is simply a, a physical picture of the spiritual reality, not just in his heart, but in the lives of God's people. As the voice of the Lord had grown rare and there was no frequent vision of God, his eyes were blind growing increasingly blind just as the spiritual satisfaction in God was happening in his heart. And the writer says in verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So the darkness of sin is encroaching. It's setting in like a thick fog in the hearts and the lives of God's people. Eli, the high priest, He's off sleeping in his own place. But Samuel, the boy that we have met from the beginning of the story, who, who his mom left in the care of this man Eli to serve the Lord all of his life, Samuel, he's actually sleeping in the temple, the tabernacle, the place where the ark of God would dwell, the ark of God being that which God had prescribed, which would hold within it at least the tablets of stone on which God had spoken his word the reminders of his covenant promises to be his people, that I had called you out, I made you mine, I am yours and you are mine. This is my word to you. This would direct your life towards joy and my glory. That word that God had given his people, those reminders of his promise to them on the tablets was in the ark and there's Samuel laying down to sleep in the place where the presence of the Lord was, nearby the reminders of the covenant of God's promise. The high priest is in his own place. Samuel is near the presence of the Lord and the reminders of his promise. The word of the Lord was rare. The light it brought was fading into darkness. The scene for the story is set. If there was ever a time in which God's people needed the encouragement that came from God's voice, the endurance and the hope, it was here. If you give yourself even the slightest moment this week, to consider the ways in which, like a thick fog, the, the darkness of sin and temptation has set in. Not just in the world that we live in, that's easy. But in your own heart, and in your own life, and in your own home, and in your own family, and your own relationships. Those places where if you're sensitive enough and, and humble enough to allow him to show you, the place where his voice seems rare. Is there any hope? In those situations where endurance seems like a far-flung idea, where a hope seems like a fairy tale, is there anything to be had? The word of the Lord was rare. If ever God's people needed encouragement and endurance and hope, it's here. And the writer tells us that even in this, the light is still flickering. 
It's not yet out. The light is still flickering like Eli's eyes. They're growing so dim he can't really see, but it's not done yet. The darkness is setting in so much so the religious leaders of Israel's day, not just the people, are doing despicable things in the eyes of the Lord, but the light isn't out yet. Maybe God hasn't abandoned his people. Maybe there is, in the midst of such tremendous darkness, still hope, still encouragement for endurance. And so the writer continues in verse four. It was then. That's the scene. That's the setting. That's the reality. It was in that, then, it was then that the Lord called Samuel. Those are tremendous words of grace to his people. The word of the Lord was rare. His people were doing whatever they wanted to do. Darkness was threatening to destroy God's people. And it was then the Lord called Samuel. Catch the whole scene. Look at verse four. It was then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. And he ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. And so Samuel went and he laid back down. And the Lord called him again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli. And he said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down again. Verse seven says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's gonna explain to you what's going on. This comical scene where he keeps getting up and running to Eli, which you can imagine. Eli's 98 years old. Samuel's been with him now for probably a decade. Not really sure. He's probably about 13 to 15 years old now. He's been with him for a while. He's 98 years old. He can't see. There's probably been times in the middle of the night when Eli's had to yell out for Samuel's help. He's probably accustomed to hearing that voice. That's the voice he's used to. Samuel, Samuel, of course he gets up to go to Eli, but the writer's gonna help you understand what's happening here. He says in verse seven that Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now last week, not knowing the Lord was the thing that described Eli's sons. The reason they were such worthless men, the reason that they were showing such contempt for what God had provided through the sacrifices, the reason they showed such contempt for God himself was because, the writer said, they did not know the Lord. They did not revere him for who he is. They did not respond to him as they should. They didn't know him. But he says something different about Samuel here. It sounds the same, but it's a bit different. He said that about Eli's sons because they had rejected God by their contempt for his law and his sacrifices. But he says about Samuel, the reason he's responding the way he is right here is because he did not, what? Yet. Yet. Because God's word had not yet, his voice had not yet been revealed to him. He had no practice in hearing that voice. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. No wonder he was confused. He would go to the voice that he knew. It hadn't yet been revealed to him, but you gotta stick with the story. Verse eight, the Lord called Samuel again for a third time and he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. I love to see his face. He's frustrated. I mean, I'd have been frustrated. Get out of bed, come to help you. But then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. So he's not yet completely blind. There's still a little spiritual light left in old Eli. The light hadn't gone out yet. It's flickering. Just like it took him a while to perceive what was going on with Hannah. It's taken him a little while to perceive what's going on here. And so verse nine Because he's realizing what's happening, Eli says to Samuel, go lie down. 
And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And that's probably one of the best moments in the entire book for Eli. He doesn't have a lot of shining moments in the story. That's probably one of the best ones. That was sound advice at that point. Verse 10 says, the Lord came and he stood. Just think about that for a minute. Go back and read that like a human this week. Can you imagine that? That's not a dream. This isn't artistic license being taken by the writer of the book. The Lord came into the darkness in the bedside of this boy Samuel and he stood there and he called him by his name as he did at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. I hear you now. Now consider the whole thing. The darkness of sin has settled into the lives of God's people. Even their leaders are utterly morally corrupt. What is it that God's people need? Everyone is doing what seems right in his own eyes, is a law unto himself. We've already heard through Hannah's prayer that God is promising a king that's going to come. What is it they need? In this moment, when the darkness is threatening to destroy them, what is it that God's people really need? We heard last week about a priest, another priest who wouldn't be like Eli and his sons. A priest who would come and do all that was in the mind and the heart of the Lord forever, coming in and out of his presence forever. What is it they need? In that moment, in that darkness, when the reality of sin is threatening to destroy God's people, what is it that God's people need? What is it that God gives? It's in that darkness that God gives his people the very thing that he needs. He gives them his word. He speaks. And as dramatic as the story is of the calling of Samuel, if you grew up in the church, that's where the story normally goes here. Normally here, when you're working through the, 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 the 1 Samuel chapter 3, the, the story tends to take a turn here, and we begin to talk about the dramatic calling of Samuel, what God's calling him to, and then how God calls his people now, and the things he calls us to, and as right and as true and as great as that is, lest we get too caught up in the emotional and incredible reality of God calling Samuel here, there's something we often miss or gloss over that's very important to the story, that's very important to the one that God inspired to write the story. There is something that he gives us here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that helps us to see something of what God is like. We tend to focus a lot on Samuel here, but there's something tremendous for you and I now on this side of redemptive history in the 21st century that the writer of 1 Samuel helps us to see about God. This story reminds us even sitting here now in 2019, That what God gives his people in their most desperate need is exactly what it is, exactly what it is they need. He gives them his word. That he was there and he wasn't silent. From the very beginning, when there was nothing, and I don't know if you've ever given yourself and your finite human mind any kind of space in a chair one day in quiet to contemplate the idea of utter nothingness. I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever tried to think about what eternity must be like? Not like what's going to happen, but like the idea that things don't stop. You ever had that moment where it felt like you got shocked in a circuit? Like, ooh, my brain just can't, my brain can't even get that far, right? Like trying to think about nothingness. Like there was nothing. He spoke. And all that began to exist came out of nothing because he spoke. What was needed was his word. 
And through his word, all things came into existence. If you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a a follower of Jesus and by the grace of God, having been adopted into God's family, his son or his daughter, have you realized that the new life that God has given you, the heart of flesh that now desires the things that God desires, that finds joy in the things that bring him glory, God gave you, he removed that heart of flesh that showed contempt to the reality of who he is and he replaced it with the very thing that beats for him by the power of his word. The thing that has always been most necessary in all times and all, in all places is God's word. He has always and continues to create and recreate through the power of his word. In the midst of such darkness and and civil and moral decay, religious decay in the life of God's people, what they needed in that place at that time was what had been rare, his word, his voice. Darkness was threatening to take them to the brink of the end. And God spoke and he sent his word. Friends, this is exactly what you and I need today. It's the same as it was for Israel then. If you give yourself a moment just to consider the reality of the messes in your world, not just the world around us, but the messes in your own life, where the darkness threatens to encroach like a thick fog in your marriages and in your homes and in your relationships and wherever it may be, what is it you think you need? And what is it you really think you need? Those places and those situations where you have no more endurance for the race, There's nothing left. The tank is empty. There's no more hope that you can muster up inside of yourself to convince yourself that tomorrow is going to be any better than today. What is it you think you need the most? Friends, the thing that we have always needed the most in the midst of such darkness is to hear God's word, to hear his voice. 1 Samuel chapter 3, the writer reminds us in the midst of such an incredible story in the life of Samuel that we serve a God who still speaks, who still walks into the darkness of ordinary people, stands by their side and speaks. And I know that that's the thing you expect me to say. I totally get that. That's the thing I would expect to hear me say if I was sitting in your seat. We're talking about darkness and talking about need and talking about sin. What you need the most is God's word. Of course, that's the pat answer. But let me just encourage you in this. As a way to best examine the reality of what's happening in your heart, lest you and I fall to to some level of of self-deception and self-deceit. I know what it is to have someone encourage me and remind me of that reality when I felt like there was no endurance left. When there was no hope left. When just living in a sinful, broken world had begun to affect my very physical family, no active sin on any of our part to cause it. We weren't like Eli and like his sons. Just the brokenness of sin brought our reality to a place where it just didn't feel like there was anything left. You can't go any further. I can't imagine how tomorrow is going to be any better than today, given this reality. And for someone to say, you know, what you need is... Is the enduring encouragement of God's word. I can tell you what you need. I had a quick reaction to that. And I'll tell you when that reaction comes up and when we've begun to believe that even in well-meaning moments like that, when we've begun to believe that there's something else that we actually need, 
when, when the darkness is, is threatening to take over. We think that there's another remedy for the situation. We are being brought face to face with the reality that somewhere in our heart we have begun to lose confidence in the power and the sufficiency and the necessity of God's word. Our confidence is fading somewhere. And I know how many times I've said it, I've heard other people say it, I know it's real, I know the feeling. Samuel, he stood right there by his side. The Lord stood there, called his name. Let me have that. Are you saying that this is how God speaks? I mean, I read the stories of old. I read Moses. Moses got a bush that didn't burn up and God called his name, Moses, Moses. Is that how you're telling me that God does this? What I need right now in my home and in my life is God to stand by my bed and call my name. That's what I'm supposed to do. I know some of you have actually prayed for God to do that. I mean, this is what you've demanded of God to do. If I'm going to hear you and if I'm going to receive what you're saying, you've got to do this. Friends, 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's not here to place any kind of normal expectation or demand that you're supposed to make of God to speak to you. Yes, he still speaks. Yes, he still comes into the darkness. Yes, his word is still the thing that is most necessary for our encouragement and for our endurance and for our hope. The thing is, for you and I on this side of redemptive history, He's spoken to us in a more sure way than he even spoke to Samuel. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us when he starts the book, Hebrews chapter one, long ago in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. The God who spoke to Samuel in the darkness, He's the same God who still speaks to us today, but now he does it in a more sure way for us by his son, the very word who who was made flesh. This same God who stood by Samuel, who called his name, who spoke to his people through Samuel in the midst of the encroaching darkness of sin is the same God who still speaks to us today, but he speaks the more sure word to us of his son and we have it in the scriptures. He still speaks He still comes into the darkness. That's why I love, it's no trite thing when the psalmist says, his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a great bookmark, right? It's for the darkness. You need a lamp and a light when it's dark. When the darkness of sin has encroached, when it has choked out any sense of endurance that you might have left, when all hope for tomorrow feels like it's been drained out, when that fog has settled in thick, that's when it's dark. That's when you need a light. It's not a a cute little pretty thing. It's when it's dark. But the very word who spoke all things into existence, the very word who, who spoke new life into your heart, it's his very word that provides for you the very thing in that darkness you need to understand up from down and right from left. It's that very word that guides you to joy. It's that very word that cultivates in you the very endurance and hope you so desperately need. I love how Eugene Peterson said it in his his book about the Bible called Eat the Book. He said the primary organ for receiving God's voice is not the eye that sees, but the ear that hears. Now that sounds obvious, right? But listen to what he says. 
This means that all of our reading of God's word must become a hearing of God's voice. We come to God's word, his living and abiding word, and we see it with our eyes. What Peterson is saying is that to hear this voice, this recreating dynamic hope and endurance giving word that shows us the path for joy, that takes us to Jesus, we have to hear his voice. Friends, I don't know if you understand this, but the very God who speaks such a word of life, the very God who speaks such words of encouragement and hope, is the same one who has promised for those who would ask to give them the ears to hear his voice. If I just had him standing there, he was just standing there calling my name physically by my side at night, of course I would hear him and I'd do it. Just let him do it. Well, he's promised to give you the ears you need. In Psalm 40, the psalmist said, sacrifices and offerings you take no delight in, but you give me ears to hear you. Literally, the psalmist says in Hebrew, you dig out from my head two ears to hear. When the darkness has settled in like that fog and you can't see, the endurance is drained. The hope is gone. Sin seems to have won. It's in the deafness and in the silence. The psalmist says God comes in with a pickaxe and digs out for you two ears to hear his voice. Have you ever asked him? If it feels like he's not speaking, if it feels like you can't hear, you can ask him to give you ears to hear the very voice and the very word you need for life, for hope, for encouragement and endurance. That's why Paul could say what was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement from God's word, we can have hope. As we go on through the story, we're reminded first that the same God who spoke to Samuel is the same God who continues to speak to his people today. But the similarities don't end there in the story. Just as it's the same God who speaks the necessary word to his people. It's the very same God. The same thing is then required of God's people who receive his word. For those that he calls, those that he gives the ears to hear, those who he speaks his words to and they can hear and receive, God then calls us to speak his word to others. Watch the story. We missed this one. This is the general calling. We'd like to talk about 1 Samuel chapter 3 and go into all these specific vocational callings to be God's people wherever you are. This is the general calling for all of God's people. As God calls you to himself, reveals himself to you in his word, he then calls you to speak his word of life to others. Now watch what happens. Verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do something in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I love the word tingle. It's in your Bible. I mean, read that, just with a, read it like a human this week. Like, put yourself in Samuel's space. He's there, he's speaking. You realize who it is, you hear. I'd give you the whole illustration from White Men Can't Jump about listening and hearing, but you don't need to see that movie, so I won't give you, you know the difference. You can, you can hear or you can listen to Jimmy. Samuel has now heard and is listening, right? And God says, I'm about to do something that's gonna make everybody tingle. On that day, I'm going to fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. 
And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So the word that God speaks to Samuel in the day in which the voice and the word of the Lord was rare was a word of judgment to be delivered to the man who had taken care of him for the last decade or so. Can you even begin to imagine that? Can you even begin to put yourself into that space? The writer says in verse 15 that Samuel laid there until the morning. I bet he did. I wonder if he slept at all. I bet he just laid there looking up at the ceiling, contemplating not just what had just happened, but then having to wrestle with and contemplate the reality of what he had to go do. And so he laid there until morning and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. What a phrase. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I bet he was. As we consider the responsibility of Samuel having heard the voice of the Lord and then being asked to speak God's word to those that he is called to speak to, I have to wonder in the similarities of the responsibilities and the calling that God has for his people today to speak his very words to those that he puts us in relationship with. I I have to wonder who at some point for some of you came across your path and I won't say anything or anybody specific because we've had these conversations, but come and came across your path at some point and, and told you that it was going to be easy to do that. I mean, for some of you, somewhere along your path, someone made it sound or seem that like it was going to be easy to communicate God's word, to communicate the good news of God's grace to people through his son, the necessity of their belief in Christ because of their sin and the impending judgment, eternal judgment because of God's holiness on their sin. Whoever told you that communicating God's word to people was going to be easy, I don't know what happened, but it's not. It's anything but. When you communicate the reality of sin the gravity of sin, and you begin messing with people's long-held personal idolatries, if you want to use that language, all the things that people have convinced themselves they need, all the ways that people like yourself at some point had convinced yourself that you're big enough and you're strong enough and you're fast enough to outrun whatever these religious people say is coming for you. When you start speaking God's word, I don't know who told you that it was going to be easy, but it's not. It's actually dangerous. The reality of it is eternity is at stake. The eternal reality of people created in the image and likeness of God hangs in the balance. Richard Phillips, a great pastor, wrote a commentary on 1 Samuel. He said, the gospel message is essentially a very hard message to both preach and to hear. Because it's a call to sinners to confess their helplessness to save themselves and to turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation through his substitutionary atonement for sin. God's message to the world includes his condemnation of sin, his threat of severe and eternal judgment, and his call for sinners to repent. Yet coupled with this hard message is God's mercy for sinners through the blood of his son. Yes, Jesus died to save people from sin, To be saved, we must therefore confess our sin 
and also our complete need for the mercy of God through the cross of Christ. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli all that God had said. He didn't get the word of grace and forgiveness and pardon that you and I get. But if I'm really honest, even with so great a message, so great a word of grace, when I think about Samuel lying in his bed after the Lord had spoken to him and waiting until morning, and I imagine him laying there, probably not sleeping, and, and I can be corrected in eternity one day if I'm adding to this, but him lying there, I half wonder if he was anything like me and, and going, how can I make what God just said a bit more palatable? Are there other words I can use? I mean, is there any kind of like edge that I can kind of rub off of what God just said? that might make it a bit easier for Eli to hear and to receive. If you're anything like me, and I wonder if Samuel was, but I know most of you probably are, the temptation that we have and the commonality we have with Samuel is that we hear the word of the Lord, the good news of the gospel. And the immediate temptation is, well, how can I make this thing a little more palatable? How can I get people to more quickly and readily embrace Jesus? What can I adjust? How can I reframe? Are there other words I could use that might make it a bit easier? I love people. I I love them. I, I want them to love Jesus. And the first thing we tend to do when that becomes the overwhelming thought as we consider the reality of communicating the gospel to people we love, is to somehow figure out how to minimize or remove altogether the gravity of sin itself and the reality of God's impending judgment on sin. I'll get there. I'll put it in the back seat, right? Me and Jesus and Grace are in the front seat and we'll put the necessity for his death and everything else in the back seat. And if people can just hug him first, eventually they'll learn why he had to die. Here's the thing, though, and I still wrestle with this. Here's the thing. To extract anything from the gospel message itself is to nullify the entire thing. What happens is you and I begin to convince ourselves that a 95% proof gospel works. This 5% that makes, that makes the conversation, that makes life, that makes everything so difficult and so hard. If people could just have more time to better understand that 5%, if I could just get them with the 95, then I can help them better understand the five. There is no 95% gospel. To remove any of it is to nullify all of it. And I get the temptation because you love people. You love them. You want them to embrace Jesus. You want them to know the sweetness of life in God that you have understood because of your, God has given you ears to hear his word and you want people to have the same thing. And so in love, you try to figure out, you lay there all night like Samuel, can I do anything to make this more palatable? But here's the thing. Doing anything in your mind to make it more palatable is actually the most unloving thing you can do for that person you so desperately want to love. To hold back from anybody something they need to understand in order to believe the message of God's grace to them through the life, death, and resurrection of his son is not loving. It's unloving, but it's not new. It's why Paul said that the Jews demand signs and and the Greeks demand wisdom. 
You know, that's just a, a spectrum on one end to the other of saying everybody wants good news from God that says nothing about his condemnation for their sin. That's just a, a spectrum. Everything falls right along that line. I want a gospel and I want a message and I want good news from God that says nothing about my sin. Which is why Paul was so always, always desperate to remind the churches when he would write, we preach Jesus crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are being called, to those God is digging out the ears and the head to hear his voice, to those that God has called, he's everything. He's everything. Friends, ours is a listening and hearing and speaking faith lest we find ourselves too far removed from Samuel. God's people who he has called to himself are always a people he calls to speak to others the very word of life, hope, encouragement that we've heard from him. And let me just say this because this is the third service and we kind of have a clock and don't have a clock. Let me just say this because I still hear it tossed around a lot. Because I think as, as long as God tarries, it will always sound good to whatever cultural thing is happening. For all that there is to admire and appreciate about the life of, of Francis Assisi, every turn of generation seems to grab a hold to something that's attributed to him. This statement that you and I, as God's people, are to preach the gospel, but if necessary, use words. And I appreciate the sentiment to a degree that he's trying to communicate. That the lives we live, the physical actions, the loving of our neighbor as ourselves is meant to reflect something of the message that we have heard and received and believed. But here's the thing. Let me tell you, lest you fall prey to this, because it sounds PC, it sounds cool, it sounds hip. No one is ever going to infer the gospel from you helping them across the street. No one is going to infer the necessity of Jesus' death in their place for their sin because you made them soup. No one is going to go from your good deed of love towards them, towards God's impending justice on their sin for all of eternity, lest they repent and see his glory and what he's done for his son. The gospel doesn't get inferred from those things. They matter. Absolutely, which is why God calls us to him. But those deeds of loving our neighbor as ourselves are always meant to confirm the message that we communicate. They're always meant to confirm the message that we have received. They're always meant to confirm the recreating, transforming power of God's word that we have heard and believed. Those are the things that cause people to come to us and give us the opportunity to open up our mouth and let sound come out. And help them understand the hope, the hope that we have. Ours is a speaking faith. Like Samuel, we are called to speak the truth that we have heard and received from God. And the question in the story is, is Samuel going to do it? We know he was afraid. We know he laid there. Well, you can keep reading the story. Verse 16, Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he had told you. So here's the thing. Did Samuel find a different way to say it? 
Did, did he find something that he could remove from the message that might make it easier for Eli? Now he's at a tough spot because Eli said, don't change it at all. You tell me what he said. So Samuel told him everything. He hid nothing from him. And Eli, maybe here, this is his finest moment. Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And there's a beautiful picture there that the writer gives you. Samuel, having been sleeping in the presence of the Lord and the promises of his covenant, nearby the word of the Lord there in the tabernacle, having heard God's voice there in the place where God promised to be with his people, having heard and received that word, now flings wide the doors to the house of God. And what you're going to see happen is that the word of the Lord is not going to go forth. It's always been that way. It's a picture of what God calls his people to. It's from his people in the place where God dwells now in the presence of our hearts by his Holy Spirit that his word is meant to go forth from to the ends of the earth. You see it begin to play out in Samuel's life. You also begin to see the power of the received word in the heart of a believer. As Samuel heard God's word, received God's word, obeyed and responded to God's word, the writer tells us Samuel grew. He continued to grow. And God didn't let any of his words through Samuel fall to the ground. Friends, this has always been the means by which God's people continue to grow. It's a whole other sermon in itself. Whatever it is you think and I think and we collectively think we need to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in godliness, to mature in the faith, whatever phraseology you like, it's always been the same thing. Hearing, receiving, believing, and obeying God's word. His word that opens up our eyes to see Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to obey Jesus, to go where Jesus is taking us, to believe in whatever situation we find ourselves in through the word of encouragement and hope about his son, whatever it is we have to do, he's worth it. Maturation has always been about hearing and receiving and believing and obeying God's word. That's the word of encouragement. That's the word of endurance when you don't feel like you have anything left to give, anywhere else to go. No way in this moment that you could obey. This is where the word of endurance comes from. Because it comes with the word of eternal hope that whatever it is, Jesus is worth it. And at that point, the writer tells us at the end of the chapter, from there, the word of the Lord would be heard by all of Israel. From a wordless place and a wordless people, God gives his people exactly what they need. He gives them his voice. He gives them his word. And you're going to see the beginning transformation of what God is doing in the redemptive life of his people from this point forward. Through Samuel, God would bring the light of his word into the darkness that sin threatened to destroy. And the same is true for you and I. Just like new life in Israel would come as God's word is spoken and heard, The same holds true for us. God continues to speak. He's spoken by his son. And his words are the encouragement that we need towards endurance and hope. So my prayer for us as I even consider this chapter and all that is actually in there is that this very endurance and this hope and this joy would be less rare in this church. Less rare in the lives of God's people here. And if he, if he so sees fit, less rare in this city. Because at least here and in you, his word is heard more than it's not heard. 
It's enjoyed and obeyed more here than it is despised and rejected. That here and in you, his word is demonstrated in all of its power through you. That into the darkness, you and I would open up our mouths and let sound come out. And the light of God's word would come to show us the way to his son. That was the motto of the Reformed Church in Geneva. After darkness, light. It is the summation or the general calling that God God has for all of his people. From the time he called Israel to himself to the time he called you to himself. You and I are called by God to bring the light of his word, the word of his son, of endurance and encouragement and hope to the darkness of a broken world. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we prepare to respond to God's word is, are you listening? Are you listening for his voice? I would encourage you this morning, ask him. In the moment we give you, in just a moment to reflect on God's word, ask him. Give me ears to hear your voice. The darkness has become deafening. Dig out from my head the ears. I need to hear you. Ask him for the courage and the encouragement to open up your mouth and let the sounds come out. Let others may know something of the same endurance and hope that you know. Friends, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. It comes from the great faithfulness of God over us to continue to speak. Ask him to give you ears to hear. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we, we stand in a bit of awe that even right here, right now, in an elementary school gymnasium, you're here and you're not quiet. What's needed more than anything this morning is not for people to hear my, my voice and my words, but it's for your Holy Spirit to work through your living and abiding word and speak in such a way and give ears to people in such a way that they hear the life-giving, hope-producing, endurance-building word that only comes from you. Lord, some people for the first time in here, Lord, give them the, the grace to ask you for ears to hear that they might for the first time hear your good news to them through your son. For some of us in here, they've just, the ears have just grown thick. Lord, open up our ears this morning to hear your voice. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.